Did you know that studies have shown affirmations can profoundly influence your psychological well-being, enhancing self-confidence and reducing anxiety? Here at Positive Birth Australia, we have crafted a 20-minute birth affirmations track filled with soulful, carefully curated affirmations to empower, inspire, and guide you to deeply remember the power you hold within. And to my fellow belly birth mothers, we have created a track specifically for you to honor that all birth is a sacred moment of profound significance. For only $5, you can download and immerse yourself in our affirmations track to transform your mindset in the lead up to birth and during labor, serving as a potent reminder of the inherent power and love you possess. Visit us at www.positivebirthaustralia.com or head to the show notes and follow the link provided to start your journey toward a more empowered birth experience. Welcome to Positive Birth Australia, a podcast created to empower and educate mothers through the power of storytelling. Each week, I'll share insightful and inspiring birth stories along with advice from leading birth experts, all in the hopes to help you create your own positive birth experience. I'm your host, Sky Waters. Let's dive into today's show. Welcome back, everyone. I am so excited to be back in your ears for season five of PBA. To kick off this season, we are doing a two-part series. And in this opening episode, I am going to take you on an intimate journey through my own experience of childbirth. Today, we will explore the transition from maiden to mother as I recount the birth of my daughter, Bella, a journey that, while filled with challenges, taught me invaluable lessons about myself. In this episode, we will delve into my unexpected journey through an unplanned induction and the typical cascade of interventions that usually follows. I'll share the profound ways in which this experience peeled back the layers of my personality, revealing depths I hadn't known before. We'll discuss the crucial role of mindset and the art of surrendering as I navigated the self-inflicted challenges leading up to my birth. And I'll explain why even methods considered to be natural inductions should be approached with the understanding that they are, in essence, interventions. Join me as I dive into these insights, unpacking the wisdom gained from navigating the often turbulent waters of my experience. My hope is that by sharing my story, I can offer insights that will resonate and empower you, my listeners, on your own journeys. So on that note, let's dive into part one of my story. Enjoy. Hello, my beautiful PBA fam. I'm so excited to jump into this episode today. This was my most requested story to share when I popped up a box on my Instagram feed asking for what kind of stories you would like to hear. I had a lot of people come back and ask for my birth stories. If you are an OG listener, you would know that I did originally share my birth stories as the first episode 
episode of PBA. Um, I ended up removing that episode because when I recorded it, I was very early postpartum with my twins and I didn't feel like I had really processed my births and um, I obviously was very new to the birth space and still learning and in that time I feel like I've learned so much that now I can give a really honest and educated perspective on how my births played out which in turn will hopefully um, I can pass on those invaluable lessons to all of you. Um, so to start off, like all my episodes, a little bit about myself for anyone that doesn't already know, my name is Sky Waters. I am a 36 year old mama of three, including twins. Um, I live in sunny Queensland, Australia with my beautiful husband, Dale and our three children, Bella, who is five and our twinnies, boy, girl, twins, Ayla and Luca, who are three. Um, fun fact, my twins were actually born the day after Bella's birthday. So Bella is born on the 22nd and the twins were born on the 23rd, <laughs> but we'll jump into how that all unfolded later. Um, and just a little bit about how I got into doing, um, this podcast, I was pregnant with my twins, which sounds crazy to say out loud because what was I thinking? Adding more to my plate when I was pregnant with twins, but Hey ho, here we are. Um, and I don't regret it at all. I love this space so much. This, you know, I've learned so much in the last three years of hosting this podcast and I feel so incredibly honored to be able to hold space for women to share their stories which then in turn helps so many other women out in the community um, navigate their own journeys through the power of storytelling. I see firsthand how powerful that can be and how you know just even one story can completely change the course of someone's journey. Um, it's truly so inspiring and it's the fuel I use on those weeks where I'm feeling challenged to get an episode out. So I just wanted to say thank you. I love you all and this community means so much to me and I appreciate the support. Um, while I'm on that topic though, if you love PBA, I would be forever grateful if you could leave a review on your podcast platform or share the podcast with a friend because all of those statistics help the podcast to grow. Okay, so as I was talking, I realized I may as well just intertwine how the podcast came about with my birth stories because it kind of all is intertwined anyway. So I'm going to jump into uh, Bella's birth story. I'll just quickly preface as well before I jump into either story that both of my births, um, neither one of them was really positive in my opinion. Um, Bella's birth was quite traumatic as you'll hear and my birth with the twins ended in all of the interventions but the difference was I felt informed that time around so there was no trauma from that birth. Um, but there is a wealth of of knowledge to take away from my experiences. And I plan to give you a very honest review of both. 
I don't know if review is the right word, but anyway. Okay, so Bella's birth. Let's rewind. Wow, that was five and a half years ago. So I have to rack my brain over that experience. When I fell pregnant with Bella, we planned that conception. I didn't have the language around conscious conception back then, but we definitely consciously conceived her. I started prepping my body just by eating really healthy. I was vegan back then. Um, I was a very healthy vegan though, because I had no other responsibilities but myself. Um, and yeah, we ate really well. I felt the healthiest I'd ever been. I was the fittest I'd ever been. Dale was also really, really healthy. Um, and we conceived her after three months of trying. That was, even though it was like three months is nothing, is absolutely nothing. But I, that was a really cool lesson for me in understanding what it's like when you start trying for a baby and it doesn't happen straight away. So three months is literally nothing. It's like a blip. But I realized very quickly how mentally draining it was to think that you could be pregnant this month and have to wait to find out and then find out you weren't. So I only had to do that technically twice, but it felt like an eternity and it really gave me a newfound appreciation and compassion for the women who struggle to fall pregnant. So that was kind of like my first massive lesson I learned along my journey, which was don't give unsolicited advice to women when you have no idea what you're talking about. And to give a little bit of context behind that, I didn't mention this earlier, but my trade or my career was hairdressing. I was a hairdresser. I owned a business with my best friend. Um, so I have always been around people. I've always loved, loved hearing other people's stories. Um, and I cringe to say it, but I've definitely been someone in the past who, while hearing clients in the chair talking about their fertility issues, can't even say it, but I have been one of those people to be like, you know, just relax into it. It'll happen. I hear that, you know, you can't be stressed. And anyway, I was, that was a very sobering lesson for me to learn when I started to try for my own babies and it didn't happen immediately, which I was so shocked at. Um, it did happen very quickly, but like I said, when you actually start trying to have a baby, you very quickly realize how long a month is that you have to wait until you get to try again. So, um, my heart goes out to anyone out there that is struggling to conceive. And I apologize to anyone that I've ever said, just relax. <laughs> Anyway, so we fell pregnant month three. I was so excited. I told everyone straight away because that's my personality. I'm an Aries, fiery Aries. I have no secrets. So everyone in my life knew that we were with child. Um, and I had a really great pregnancy. I had my business with my um, best friend. That was over. We had moved on from that and I was working from home. So I had set my life up for children. I was 30 at the time. So I felt like I had really um, lived my party years and traveled the world with my husband who was, he wasn't my husband then, but, um, we had just, you know, done everything that we wanted to do before we had kids. And I felt so ready. And I honestly think that played a really huge role in my whole experience having that mindset of, you know, I really feel so ready for this. And, um, even if we face challenges, it's okay. I know this isn't going to be an 
easy road all the time, but I'm so ready for all of it. The ups and the downs, I'm ready. And I think that mindset was so powerful for me and it really helped me to cope with how things unfolded. And then um, that transition from maiden to mother, I feel like that was not as um, severe as it can be for some women because I had a really healthy mindset during that period. Um, so pregnancy was your typical morning sickness in the first trimester. I didn't really vomit though, but it was really uncomfortable feeling like I was going to vomit all day long while doing people's hair. It just, yeah, there was a couple of times I had to stop doing what I was doing and just like step back and be like, am I going to spew? (laughs) I didn't though, which I'm grateful for. Um, and then after that first trimester, my morning sickness eased off and I got that beautiful second trimester glow. And I just loved being pregnant so much. I definitely got your normal stretching pains, things moving around, um, but I was just so completely in awe of my body and how this little baby was growing and what my, you know, how my body was changing. I really embraced all of it and I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed that second trimester so much. Third trimester, obviously you get all of your, you're a little bit bigger and I was still working. Hairdressers are mostly on their feet. So... I definitely got um, a bit of sciatic pain and all of that, but it was nothing to, I didn't complain because I was just so, so grateful to be pregnant and carrying a healthy baby. Perception of birth. Okay. So at that point in my life, when I first fell pregnant, my perception of birth was that it was terrifying. And I, growing up, always used to say, I had the very typical narrative fed to me my entire life that birth is dangerous. It is scary. It is painful. So, so painful. Um, and it's like the worst thing you'll ever go through, but you get a baby at the end of it. So you forget it. Um, and all my life, I remember thinking, why did God make us so that we would have to experience such a traumatic, horrific thing just to get a baby? Like it just never made sense in my brain. So when I fell pregnant myself, I had in my head, okay, I'm going to have to experience something really hard Um, but that's okay. I'll have my baby. And I was so maternal at that point. I was very much craving a baby. So that, that feeling overtook any fears that I had. My model of care choice at that time matched the very typical narrative. We're all fed that birth is dangerous. So what do you need to make it not dangerous? You need a private obstetrician and you need a private hospital for the gold standard of care. So that's the route that I went down. Um, And obviously at this point in my life, I had absolutely no idea about birth. I knew nothing. I didn't even know what birth entailed. You know, all I knew is that a baby came out of your vagina, hopefully. Um, And it was really traumatic. That's pretty much the level of knowledge I had, which is embarrassing to say because I was 30 years old, (laughs) but you know, I don't, I was the first of most of my friends to have kids. So, um, I didn't really, it's not like I had anyone around me that was birthing. So I didn't really have anyone, but my mum and her friends to sort of draw information from. So I just wasn't exposed to it. But before we move on, I just want to quickly chat about my mum's experience as well, because that's all kind of intertwined with my own. And, you know, 
that's where a lot of my information came from. My mom had four children, all vaginal births. My brother, myself, and my sister were, there was a lot of interventions, but she still had vaginal births. So, you know, that's deemed a success. Um, but all of them were pretty horrible when you look at the details of it. But I guess, you know, horrible is normalized in a lot of ways and trauma is normalized in the birth space in the medical industry. So um, she just had a normal experience. Um, and uh, my mum, unfortunately, my mum lost my sister at 22 weeks. Her name was Jasmine Lee. Basically, mum had a problem with her cervix. Um, this is probably something that I would love to touch on a little bit more in a future episode uh, about biopsies on your cervix and how that can impact how you carry your future babies because my mum had a cone biopsy. I don't think they do cone biopsies anymore for this reason. She had a cone biopsy because she had a um, pap smear that came back irregular and that cone biopsy meant that she needed to have stitches in her cervix to prevent her baby from falling out basically. So what happens is because your cervix is tampered with and compromised, it, you know, it doesn't have the strength to hold your babies in like it would if it was completely you know, whole and, um, the cone biopsies do take a bit. So, you know, once Jasmine got to a certain weight, which was 22 weeks in mum's case, she basically went into labor because her cervix thought, Oh, this baby's full term. Um, and that experience really scarred my mother for obvious reasons, but also the feeling of being unheard and dismissed when she felt and knew within herself that something wasn't quite right. Um, and it, you know, if the doctor had just listened and given her more stitches, like she had asked, she wouldn't have lost Jasmine. Um, and the reason why I'm sharing this story is because the stories of our lineage have such a tremendous or can have such a tremendous impact on our own journeys. So it's really important to bring awareness to these stories that are shared with us as we grow up, because these are the stories that are imprinted on us. There is so much power in storytelling and it can go both ways. I mean, I have a podcast. I see the power of storytelling on a daily basis, um, but particularly when it's in our lineage and, and we've had it, you know, it's a part of our history. Um, there's also like a DNA element to it as well. You know, the fear and stress that a mother endures during pregnancy, birth and her life. There's research out there now that shows that these experiences can change the way our DNA work, which then can be passed down to offspring. It's called epigenetics. If anyone's interested, it is a fascinating read. Um, but this is why it's so important to bring awareness to these stories that are shared with us from our mother, our grandmother, our aunties, um, because you may not even realize the fear you're holding on to doesn't actually belong to you. So bringing it back to my journey, you know, I had so much fear around my babies dying about my care providers not listening to me and dismissing me and also you know the fear of them not being capable of taking care of myself and my baby and none of these fears were my own these were all fears that I had imprinted on me from a young age from my mum's experience and they were all subconscious so I 
didn't really have the awareness to see that until I had my interview with Jane Hardwick Collings, which is a fantastic interview. Please head over and give it a listen. If you haven't already, I will link it in the show notes. Um, she's profoundly wise and she only touches on the surface of this topic. It's such a great episode. Um, but just that one conversation opened up so much unpacking for me to do. <laughs> Back to my model of care choice. So I, because of my mum's fear around birth and her story, I chose a private obstetrician and a private hospital to birth in. Um, because my mum lost Jasmine in a public hospital, there was always my whole, the whole story growing up was like, you know, it was the public hospital's fault. So when I went to choose my obstetrician, I had a variety of choice. A lot of them were male and I just, I just innately knew or instinctually knew that I wanted only women in my birth space. So I opted to go with a female obstetrician and I was really excited to go and see her, meet her for the first time. Um, and in that space between, um, booking, her as my OB and going to actually meet her. I had read the book by Ina May, Guide to Childbirth. So that was kind of my first introduction to what birth could look like. And I was like, wow. But still, even back then, like listening to all of those stories in her book, I didn't once, even once consider home birthing. I was just like, oh, this is an American book. Like, you know, we don't have those options here. Um, because I also think that's really important to note as well. I didn't know home birth existed at this point in my life. I, I mean, back then, this is only five years ago, we've come in leaps and bounds since then. But, you know, five years ago for me, I would, if you had said home birth, I would have looked at you with a completely blank face. Like what is that? <laughs> and why on earth would I choose to do it at home? So it's amazing how, how much things have changed in that five-year period. Um, and so I had a little bit more knowledge to walk into that appointment. Um, I knew a little bit more about, you know, delayed cord clamping and, you know, how important it is for baby to stay with mom and be on her chest and skin to skin and all these things, all these, you know, new things that I had learned that I was so excited to take to my OB. Um, and when I presented her with these not even questions. They were more requests. Like, this is what I want. She basically shut every single one of them down. And I left that appointment feeling like, oh crap, is this what it's going to be like? Because I'm an Aries. I don't like anyone telling me what to do, but especially when I'm coming to you as a you know, I'm a patient, I'm paying you a lot of money to support me. And she basically made me feel like a child. And like, I had no say in my, my birth, she was going to do it her way with all the evidence-based knowledge that she possessed. She kept saying that, um, and that, you know, delayed cord clamping, there's no evidence to support that it's beneficial. <laughs> so I'll only do it for 30 seconds and that's all your baby will need. Just little things like that, completely shutting me down and, you know, disregarding anything I brought to her. I was feeling a little bit nervous when I left that appointment because I knew I wasn't going to be hiring her, but I had no idea where to go. Um, and I really wanted women in my birth space. So I was kind of considering, all right, I'm going to have to look at other people's referrals of male obstetricians and that's going to be the path. Then I stumbled upon a, um, 
a clinic in South Brisbane called Kindred. Um, and they are a private practice, but they can work in private hospitals. And um, you basically, um, so the setup was if you hired the midwifery care model, you automatically got one of their OBs as a support if you needed it. So pretty much you're having private midwifery care in the hospital of your choice and you get a private OB who you were also familiar with if you needed it. So I walked into that thinking, I'm not even going to see the OB, but at least I know them and I've, you know, had appointments with them if I need to have that kind of support. Um, so it was that continuity of care. I didn't really have the language or terminology around that at the time, but it felt good to me. And I remember leaving that first meeting, just basically skipping out of the clinic because I, you know, had gone from this OB that was basically telling me how my birth would go to having, I think I had my first meeting with the co-founder who was also my midwife. Um, and it was very much the opposite. It was like, what, how can we serve you? They respected all of my requests that I had. And, you know, they basically said that those things are just standard practice for us. So, it just felt very aligned and I just was so happy that I had found in this very medicalized, you know, environment, I felt like I had found a clinic that was really supportive of natural birth. Um, so yeah, I continued my care with them and I had really great experience to be honest with that care in the lead up to birth. I loved going to the clinic um, and I loved chatting with my midwives. Um, in terms of birth education, I decided to do a birth course through Kindred. Um, one of the midwives who was my favorite midwife, she actually under the table suggested to me to do a hypnobirthing course. And she literally said to me, if you're going to do any course, make sure it's a hypnobirthing course. And one of the biggest regrets I have in my whole birth experience is not listening to her because that would have changed the trajectory of my birth completely, I feel. Um, so I didn't listen because I definitely had a kind of a cockiness about me back then um, when it came to birth. And, you, you know, that serves some people really well. Um, but for me, it definitely didn't because that cockiness was actually more of a block for me. It created this block where I thought, nah, I'm fine. I don't need to do any extensive research on what physiological birth looks like and how it unfolds within the body and physically and emotionally um, because I trust myself and that's all I need. And look, that absolutely can work for some women. But for a lot of women, you have to have that duality of birth knowledge and that innate trust. So as we jump into my birth story, you should be able to recognize how by not having that, you know, proper knowledge on physiological birth, when things didn't look a certain way, I began to completely unravel. So with that mindset, I decided that I didn't need to do a hypnobirthing course and I would just do the kindred birth course because I think that was included in my package. 
Um, and you know, it was a very, very much like your typical hospital birth course. It was talking about the interventions, the drugs you'll be offered, um, the machines in your birth suite, that kind of thing. Um, on top of that, I also read Ina May's guide to childbirth and Rhea Dempsey's birth with confidence, which is an absolute classic. I love Rhea Dempsey so much. Check out her episode if you haven't already. And for any mamas that are birthing in the system and want to get as educated as possible, please get your hands on her book, Beyond the Birth Plan. She really goes into great detail about all of the things that you will be offered and what they mean, what they do to your body and the cascade of interventions that usually follows them. Um, and so much more. So I highly, highly recommend that book, particularly for mamas birthing in the system. So that was the sum of my birth education for that birth. Bella's birth and then I just continued on until 39 weeks when I finished work so by that point I was adamant that my baby was going to be one of the special babies that came before their due date and in the lead up to me finishing work I had started doing all of the things to get labor started so I was gutter walking raspberry leaf tea eating an insane amount of dates Um, and I think my last resort which was shared with me by one of the midwives was to go and get acupuncture. So here's my issue with doing all of the things. And I know a lot of particularly first time mamas can relate to this because it usually is the first time mama energy that wants to get that baby out so desperately because you're just so excited to meet your little one. Whereas I find that, you know, mamas that have more than one child, you're kind of too busy to really think about it, right? But I know, you know, from my own experience and from seeing other mothers in the community around me, I understand and appreciate that desperate anticipation to meet your baby. Um, And if you're doing all of the holistic things to induce labor, then surely that's okay. Um, And here's where I have a bit of a problem with any form of intervention when it comes to labor including holistic interventions. And I call them interventions because that's what they are. You know, you're intervening with your natural unfolding um, and you're trying to get labor to start before you or your baby are truly ready. Um, So I think it's really important to label it as an intervention, even if it is a holistic one, um, because it prevents you from tricking yourself into thinking that it doesn't have any ramifications on the outcome of your labor. Um, And as you'll hear with my story, my attempt to get labor started really impacted both of my births. Um, It's also important to note that there is very little evidence to confirm whether any of these practices actually work. Obviously, most of the women that are trying to induce labor are at the end of their pregnancy. So how do you gauge whether something has genuinely worked or the mother was just truly ready to go into labor? And this is something I touch on in my upcoming ebook, Trusting the Journey, which will be released next month, um, because it's not only prevalent in my story, feeling that impatience in the lead up to birth, but I hear it shared by so many women out in, the, in my community, um, you know, whether it's prodromal labor or environmental stresses that are impacting your mindset. 
We know that your mindset is extremely powerful. And if you listen to the PBA podcast, you will see that theme throughout so many women's stories. And yes, your body will absolutely birth your baby because that is what it is designed to do. But your mind has the power to get in the way. So this ebook is focused around cultivating a healthy, strong mindset in the lead up to birth by utilizing a daily practice to ground you back into that innate trust and, you know, allowing things to unfold in their own unique way. And I created this ebook because I know I can say confidently that had I had a tool like this, um, accompanied with, you know, some knowledge specific to the end of pregnancy, I would have absolutely had a better outcome um, and I would have been able to acknowledge or bring awareness to the fact that I was trying to control the narrative. And we know with birth, you cannot control it. It will unfold in its own way. And the best thing you can do is to allow that unique unfolding to happen, which I know for a lot of us is easier said than done, especially with the state of the world at the moment and cost of living and, you know, outside stresses that have nothing to do with birth, how easy it is to get caught up in all of those emotions. Um, and that's why I created this ebook to give you the tools you need to implement an easy yet potent daily practice to, um, guide you back to that remembrance that you have all the power within you. You are all you need on this journey. Um, and yeah, so shameless plug is over. Let's get back to the story. <laughs> so as I said, I did trial of the things and I got to 39 weeks and I thought I need to have this baby early because I only being a um, sole trader at that point, I, didn't get, you know, the, I couldn't take a year off because I had no income if I took a year off. So I was only taking six weeks off. Um, and I really wanted to take the last week of my pregnancy off. So I felt that pressure to go into labor early so that I could utilize the time I had off work. And on the 39 week mark, I went and had acupuncture and I love acupuncture. It's an incredible practice and it's so powerful. The acupuncturist I went to see specialized in labor induction and it worked. The next day I started feeling little tightenings that were more consistent than Braxton Hicks and they you know, really felt like it was going to progress into something and I was so excited. I just thought, oh my gosh, it's worked. I'm going into labor and I'm 39 weeks. This is amazing. Fast forward to the evening and my hubby and I went to bed and I woke up at, I can't remember what time it was, but I kind of sat up in bed and I thought to myself, oh my gosh, I think I've got gastro because I had that really intense gas pain all through the front of my belly. Anyone that's had gastro can probably relate to that feeling. And so I went to the bathroom and I came back out and I thought, this is just what I need getting gastro right before I'm about to have a baby. Um, and I went back to bed feeling a little bit panicked, but also, you know, what do you do? Um, and like a couple minutes later, I woke up again to the exact same pain. I thought, yep, definitely gastro. <laughs> 
And then I went to bed again. And what do you know? A couple of minutes later, the exact same thing happened. And only then did it dawn on me that this could be labor. So of course I was excited and I got out of bed. I thought, okay, cool. I'm not going to wake Dale. I'll just see what happens. So I began laboring on my own and things picked up quite quickly. They, the intensity of those surges definitely increased quite dramatically within a short period of time to the point where I was really struggling with them. On reflection, I can see that I was fighting every single surge that came. I would sort of brace myself for each surge and then, you know, tense my body and hold my breath. Um, Basically everything you shouldn't do when experiencing surges. But had I done a hypnobirthing course, I would have been taught how to utilize my breath and work with my body and my surges rather than fighting against them, which in turn then just made them so much more painful. Um, So it got to the point where they were so intense, I was genuinely feeling a little bit nervous about it getting any worse and oh my gosh, am I going to be able to do this? So I decided to go into the shower and as soon as I got into the shower, as soon as that water hit my belly, we've got a really big shower, which is awesome. So I could sit down and really spread out. Um, my surges started to soften. Everything started to soften. I, nothing felt really intense and I felt really calm. I actually fell asleep in the shower for a little bit and I kind of woke up and thought, okay, things aren't, happening anymore so I decided to get back into bed and I fell asleep pretty quickly because it was quite late in the night or it could have even been early morning at that point Um, and then I woke up in the morning and everything had stopped and of course I was disappointed but this comes back to what I was saying earlier about um, trying to get labor to start before your body's ready and look we'll never know whether my prodromal labor was caused by my attempt to get labor started Um, maybe my body just naturally goes into prodromal labor before I, you know, head into real active labor. Um, we'll never know because I've never had a true physiological undisturbed birth, but with the knowledge that I have now accompanied by, you know, simple, just gut instincts, um, I know that my story was impacted by my constant and relentless attempts to get labor started. Um, and one of those things being acupuncture. So I love acupuncture. I think it is a powerful, potent practice. And in my case, it absolutely did what it was supposed to do in terms of stimulating things. It didn't put me into labor because I was absolutely not ready for that. I mean, hello, I was only 39 weeks wild. Um, but when using a potent tool like this, You need to take into consideration, okay, this could actually have an effect on my body, but is it going to create the outcome I'm desiring? And if it doesn't create the outcome I'm desiring, which is a baby, full-blown labor, then how am I going to cope with that? Because if you then look at my story, all it did was create more stress, more anxiety, more impatience, pretty much all the hormones that aren't conducive for labor to start. So the ramifications of my choices were that I ended up having prodromal labor from Monday to Friday. 
And that then impacted my mental health because I was going into full-blown active labor, it felt like, um, at nighttime and then waking up every morning without a baby. And that really, really messed with my head big time. You know, I didn't understand what was happening to my body and I genuinely started freaking out thinking something was wrong because why am I going into labor at night and then nothing's happening? And, you know, this is where I wish my midwives had really taken the time to explain to me what was happening. The only responses I got from them was like, no, it's normal. Yeah, your hormones are highest at night. So it's all completely normal. And look, they probably, you know, in their world, they're like, girl, it's fine. Don't stress. But I was like, no, I need to understand this. Please explain it deeper, deeper, deeper. And that also is my responsibility as well. Like I shouldn't have been relying on them to inform me. I should have gone and informed myself with birth literature or, you know, reread some books or whatever, but I didn't take that initiative and I fully take responsibility for that. That is a huge, huge lesson I took away from actually both of my births because I still kind of did that with my twin birth as you'll hear. Um, and it's something that I do in my normal life. I do, I do a little bit of research, but I don't dive deep into it. And once I feel like I know enough, I kind of just, you know, that's it. I just don't dive deep. I don't give the amount of work that is needed. And, you know, there's consequences for that. If you, if you're not going to do the work on something, you're not going to get the outcome that you want. And those have been, invaluable lessons that I've taken into my everyday normal life because those are habits that I have in my everyday normal life and really bring awareness to it. And I, I genuinely don't believe I would have that level of awareness about that side of my personality had I not had these experiences. And that is the power of birth. You can learn so much about yourself, no matter how you give birth, when you feel ready. I know it's hard if you've had a traumatic experience, but you know, there is so much power in sitting in reflection. And um, it took me a while to sit in reflection for both of my experiences because there's a lot to unpack. But when I was able to do so and give space to it, the things I uncovered about myself were, you know, was the catalyst for the massive growth that I've been through in the last five years. Learning that I was a people pleaser and, you know, if you had said to me five years ago that you're a people pleaser, Sky, I would have scoffed at you because I'm Aries, fire energy, that big energy, confidence, you know, not afraid to stand my ground and won't ever shy away from conflict. But then you put me into a situation where there's an authoritative presence and I immediately turn into the good girl, the yes girl. The, you know, just do whatever you think's best, girl. The person that hands over their power so, so easily. And those are really confronting, harsh lessons to learn about yourself, especially if you're someone like me who never would have put myself in that category, you know? And this is why I'm always, you know, going on about how transformative birth can be because it gives you an opportunity to dive deeper into, you know, layers of your personality and learn some really valuable um, lessons about yourself, which not only helps, you know, initiates massive growth, but, um, 
those lessons you can take into your everyday life and also into how you parent your children. Um, We dive deeper into this in my episode with Jane, so please check that one out. And then, you know, our our children, they become our greatest teachers as well. So the lessons don't just stop there, but (laughs) that's a whole nother episode. So I'm going to rein myself in now. So I was experiencing all of this prodromal labor. I would have tightenings through the day and then at nighttime I would get full on surges and I was timing them every night. It was just me and my dog in my lounge room and you know, my phone would constantly say to me, it's time to go to hospital, Um, which is funny to reflect on now because I never actually listened to my phone, which I find really interesting. Um, I obviously instinctually knew that I wasn't actually ready. Um, It's also important to note as well that I was having, I had a few stretch and sweeps during this time. So the midwives would come to my house and they could see how distressed I was and offer to do stretch and sweeps, which I gladly accepted because I was just so desperate to get Bella out. Um, And I really feel like those stretch and sweeps only fueled the fire of what I was experiencing because again, it was my attempt to bring on labor before my body was ready. Keep in mind, I wasn't even at my due date yet. If you listen to the podcast, you would probably have a rough idea of where I stand when it comes to stretch and sweeps now that I'm a more educated woman. Um, And for anyone that doesn't know what a stretch and sweep is, they are quite invasive and they are often really painful and dependent on who you get, they can be traumatic. You know, I've heard some horror stories about women going in to get a stretch and sweep and leaving just completely traumatized by that experience. So um, what do they do? A stretch and sweep, they're basically sticking their fingers inside of you, which risk of infection, hello, And then once they find your cervix, which is deep inside your body, and I just think she doesn't really want to be poked and prodded, um, they will, through the little opening in your cervix, try to separate the amniotic sac from your cervix. And the idea of doing that, so I think they do it in a sweeping motion, that's where the name comes from. Um, And the idea is that it releases hormones that then prepares your cervix for labor. So it's quite common to feel cramping after you've had something like that happen and spotting, you can have a bit of a bleed, um, but there's no guarantees that it will bring on labor. And in my case, I genuinely don't feel it did anything but make my body even more overstimulated than it already was and so confused whether it should go into labor, but the baby's not ready. So I got to Friday and that was my breaking point. I said to the midwives, I'm done. I can't do another night of this and wake up without a baby. This is my now going on fifth night. It's time to intervene. And look, I was so excited to go into hospital because I knew that the minute I entered that place, I was not leaving it without my baby. So there was this eager eagerness to get there and um, get things going because I just was so desperate to meet her. And so the plan was I wanted a natural birth. That was still the plan. So we decided that we would do the lesser evil among options and break my waters because there was no drugs involved with that. Um, And then the next step, if that didn't work, would be um, syntocin, which is the synthetic oxytocin. So after we broke my waters, which was quite painless, um, we decided to put the drip in for the syntocin 
just in case I needed it so that I wasn't getting a cannula put in while I was in labor. And I thought that was a logical idea. So I agreed to it. And I was also allowed to stay, go in the shower with my, my little drip that I carried around with me. Um, so I was fine with that. Once my waters were broken, surges picked up soon after. Um, and oh gosh, I just look back on that that short period in my labor so so fondly um i could feel the surges picking up and i went in the shower and it just everything felt really beautiful um i knew that this was it it felt different to the prodromal labor i had been experiencing it felt more consistent more wave-like i don't know how to explain it it just like you felt that build of the surge like that wave coming in and then it would peak and then it would drift off and you would get that you know rush of endorphins and just feel so happy and relaxed so i was really really in that zone and feeling all of those beautiful hormones and i really felt that was the first time i felt like oh i've i've got this I've totally got this. And I remember having a beautiful moment with Dale where I looked at him. So our midwife, just quickly, she had just given birth. I think I think her baby was only like five weeks old. And she was kind of, you know, she broke my waters, did the cannula, watched me for a little bit while I was um, having those surges. And she was like, look, you, you're doing this. You don't need me here. I'm going to go. She needed to go express for her baby and she also had another woman that she was supporting in the hospital. So I was more than happy for that. That was exactly what we wanted. So she'd left and I had just had a beautiful big surge and I, you know, was sitting there and I looked at Dale and I said, oh babe, we've got this. I'm just so happy. I'm so excited to meet our baby girl and we've got this. And I just couldn't get over how good the surges were feeling compared to what I had just gone through in the week before. It just felt like my body was finally doing what it was supposed to do. And I was feeling really proud and really loving and everything just felt really beautiful at that time. And then, makes me emotional thinking about it. I, I got hit with this intense, horrific surge. It literally felt like my bones were shattering and it came out of nowhere, totally rocked me. And I looked at Dale and I said, something's not right because it just did not fit what I had been experiencing. And then the next one came and then the next one came and then the next one came and it was like, holy shit, something's wrong. And I kept saying to him, go get the midwife, go get the midwife, something's wrong, something's wrong. It literally felt like someone was running over me with a car and then reversing and then running over and reversing. And I just could not catch my breath. I couldn't get on top of them. And I just knew like, this does not fit what I've been experiencing. Something isn't right. And so he went and got the midwife in that time. I genuinely felt out of body, completely out of body with the pain I was in. I was curled up in a ball, just screaming. And she came in and, you know, they tried to talk me into breathing and like, you know, you can do this. And I was like, no, I cannot do this. You know, you don't understand something isn't right. 
Um, and eventually, I, after a lot of pleading, Dale, poor Dale, he would have been so panicked because he could see the difference. I just literally said to him, oh, babe, we've got this. And I was full of love and so happy. And then I, it just went from zero to 100. And he helped advocate for me to get the epidural. So we got the epidural and I just, oh my gosh, I took this huge sigh of relief. Like, wow, thank God that is over. And then a wave of disappointment hit me and I just thought, oh gosh, I couldn't do it. I can't believe it. I can't believe I couldn't do it. I was doing so well. And then what happened? And I was, this was all internal dialogue. I, you know, back then again, I was very much like, it's fine. It's all good. Like whatever, I'm fine. But internally I was really disappointed in myself, but I was also enjoying not being in that horrific pain I was just in. So it was a very confusing time. Um, so I ended up having some juice and um, a sandwich and while everyone was sort of packing up the epidural stuff, my midwife made a comment today in front of Dale and I saying, oh, wow, your body, I had you on the lowest dose and your body really responded. And I was like, oh, confused, completely confused because I didn't know that we had administered anything. Dale and I gave each other this very confused look like, what is she talking about? And then I think it was Dale that maybe probed a bit more and it was confirmed that I was given the lowest dose of Syntocin um, and my body had really reacted to it, almost severely in my opinion. Um, and then we're kind of processing what we were just told because there was clearly a breakdown in communication. Dale and I both were under the assumption that no Syntocin would be administered unless I didn't go into active labor within a certain amount of time from having my waters broken. But it was very, very clear to both of us. And we thought our midwife also that, you know, things were progressing. I was in having really consistent, strong surges. So that was basically it. I was just going to journey through this birth experience with Dale and I was going to birth our baby. So you can imagine how shocked we both were when we heard this and it, you know, there was a bit of kerfuffle happening because there were so many people in the room at that point because I just had the epidural. Um, and obviously now I'm being monitored. So we were trying to process what had just been told to us. We were kind of looking at each other really confused and it was just a lot to take in in that moment. So Dale and I kind of just swept that bad boy under the rug for the time being because we just didn't feel like we had the space at that point to really talk about it. Um, and also again, like I've said back then, I was very much the people pleaser, the good girl. So there was no way I was going to make an issue about it and it had already happened. So I, you know, in my head, I was like, oh, well, it's done now. There's nothing I can do about it. Um, but there was this, you know, from feeling so much disappointment in myself to all of a sudden I was like, okay, I, it wasn't my fault. Ugh, that makes me emotional to say out loud, but it definitely, I felt better in a weird way that, you know, it wasn't my fault 
And then of course I had these underlying feelings of, you know, being annoyed that that had happened to me, but also not wanting to rock the boat and upset anyone. So I kind of just let it go. Um, and as we know with interventions such as syntocin and epidurals, um, there is a very typical cascade of interventions that will, you know, often follow those two things. So having the syntocin obviously created these contractions and I call them contractions because they were so harsh. There wasn't that beautiful surge feeling or wave feeling, you know, where they slowly rise and then build and peak and then subside. It was just like, bam, 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 bam. And it really didn't feel natural. But of course it didn't feel natural because it's the furthest thing from natural. Um, and while we're on the topic, I'll just quickly dive into what syntocin is and what it does to the body. So syntocin is a synthetic version of oxytocin. Um, it is the induction drug. So if you are going into hospital and being induced, there are a couple of ways they'll do it. But syntocin is usually the drug that they administer to you via IV. So to understand the detrimental impact that syntocin can have on your body, you first kind of need to understand the hormonal flow of labor. So I'll give you a very basic explanation. When your body goes into labor, there's this constant feedback loop happening between your brain and your body. And we need this feedback loop because during different stages of labor, your brain will release different types and amounts of hormones. So for example, if you've got a head on your cervix, your body will send some information to your brain and say, hey, we've got a head down here. We need to dilate this cervix. And your brain will register that as, okay, we're at this stage. Let's release this amount of oxytocin to bring on an even bigger surge to help dilate this cervix. So that feedback loop is so important to the progress and unfolding of your birth. Um, another, you know, amazing thing that happens with this feedback loop is your body will say, Hey, look, I've just had this huge, big surge. I need to rest. And your brain will register this and release endorphins. And I personally like to think of endorphins as um, the co-stars of the show. They are our natural pain relief. They are the, you know, those endorphins, when they flood our body, you'll often hear of women saying, you know, I went to the stars, I was in another realm. And that is a flood of this beautiful, like stress reducing, pain relieving endorphin. So this is, you know, again, this is why our feedback loop is so important. As soon as you administer syntocin, well, first off, it's a man-made hormone. So your body isn't going to register that hormone as something natural, which means you are completely bypassing that feedback loop. And that's when problems start to unfold. You'll often hear of women who have syntocin, you know, they'll experience surges that are on top of each other, just like my story. You know, unfortunately, my story isn't unique um, and they don't get a break. That's because this foreign hormone has entered your system and your body doesn't understand how to work with it. So it completely stops releasing those endorphins. So you're not getting a rest in between those surges like you would with natural labor. 
And I know that there is, you know, some people say you can manage the syntocin level, but you can't possibly know how much, how much oxytocin your body would naturally produce at any one time. You know, that's something that happens internally. There's no way any human outside of your own body can determine how much you need at what specific moments. So, you know, a lot of women, and this is the typical cascade of interventions we all talk about, you'll see it unfold. You'll have the syntocin, you don't get a break. These contractions are out of this world painful. They're not a normal surge. Um, and women will often ask for pain relief outside of themselves because they're not getting any internally. Um, and for good reason, I don't blame any of those women. I have felt what it feels like to have a fake contraction and it is absolutely out of body. I take my hat off to any woman that does hours upon hours of syntocin contractions. I mean, I did it myself with my twins birth as you'll hear, but I was more prepared that time around. Whereas this, you know, for Bella's birth, I had no preparation. So as soon as that contraction hit me, I just went completely out of my mind. So again, you see that cascade of intervention. I can't handle these contractions. I need pain relief. Women get administered epidurals. Um, and what did the epidurals do to our system? Okay, well, they completely numb you. It's an anesthetic. It numbs you. Um, of course, we have walking epidurals now where you can still feel. I had one of those with the twins. I could still move my feet and I could feel people touching my feet, but I couldn't lift my legs. Um, but, you know, this, this drug entering your system, again, your body is not built for that. So your body stops working. Boom. Those hormones stop completely. So what happens now is that they have to manage your labor through the use of syntocin. So it's important to remember that yes, while you are in a state of numbness, um, they will most likely up the dosage of syntocin because of that numbness. Your baby is not numb. Okay. So your baby is still feeling those compounding contractions one upon the other, and they are getting no break just like you didn't. And this is where we start to see baby's heart rates suffer because yes, babies are built for birth, but babies are not built for man-made birth. And more often than not, you will see their heart rates begin to drop. And this is when the emergencies kick in, you know, now we've got to get the baby out because the baby's distressed and we've got to, you know, either do a vacuum, episiotomy, forceps or a cesarean birth. Um, and then, you know, often it's sold back to the mother as we had to do this to save your baby's life and potentially your life. So I can't even tell you how many times I've heard someone explain their birth story to me. And at the end of it, they've said, thank God for the medical professionals because they saved mine and my baby's life. And you start to dive into their story and immediately without any digging, I can pinpoint where things began to unravel. And it's most likely because of some form of intervention. And I say intervention, intervention doesn't always have to look like um, medical interventions. It can literally be as simple as someone checking you or putting a Doppler on your belly. Everyone's different, but 
I guess my point is that it's not the mother's fault. And I, you know, want to point that out because I know so many mothers blame themselves or think, you know, in my case, I thought something was wrong with me. Well, how come I couldn't do it? Um, and it's so much deeper than that. And that's why I invite you to really dig deep into any birth experience that you've had where you felt like it was your fault, because I can almost guarantee you it wasn't. And this is not to demonize our medical system because we are very lucky to have access to medicine when we absolutely need it. I mean, there's no denying that. That's across the board outside of birth, you know. Um, I see so much value in our hospitals and, you know, the doctors out there. But when it comes to birth, particularly, it is over-medicalized in today's society. And there is no denying that. We have the highest amount of cesarean section rates we've ever had and no improvement in maternal and newborn mortality. I mean, that alone speaks volumes, you know? So you've got to call a spade a spade. And this is purely just information for you to take with you. So you're not walking in there blind. That's all it is. You absolutely can have a natural, positive birth experience within the hospital. Um, But as the spiritual midwife said once in our episode together, which I will link in the show notes, Those are the unicorn mamas. And um, when she said that, that really resonated because it's true. Unfortunately, you know, when we've got stats coming out, like one in three women are walking out of their births traumatized. It makes sense that the ones that are having a positive birth experience with zero intervention or minimal intervention, because I've had women on the show, as you would know, that have had successful inductions and gone on after being induced to have no other interventions, Um, but they are the unicorn mama. So I guess my, my overall point is that if you, no matter where you're birthing, you need to get educated, but particularly in the system, you need to be prepared for, um, these kinds of drugs being offered to you. And it's so important that you understand what they mean. So looking at my story, you know, had I been more aware and had more knowledge on the cascade of interventions that can follow inductions, I would have said no to that cannula being in my arm, even though we had discussed that it wouldn't be administered, I would have known that, okay, well, there is still a possibility. Do not put it in. But of course, knowing what I know now, I mean, it's obvious that I wouldn't have even engaged with the hospital to begin with because I trust birth so much now. And I really am genuinely of the belief that if you are a healthy mother with a healthy pregnancy, growing a healthy baby, then, you know, your birth is going to unfold optimally at home. And the hospitals should only be there for women that are truly high risk. That is my, you know, core belief. Um, but also I understand that, you know, we're a long way from that being our norm. Um, yeah. Anyway, I feel like I've gone on a rant for long enough. So let's move back to my story. Um, I've been administered the epidural. We've just found out that I was also administered Syntocin and, you know, I'm processing a lot of things, but also feeling really great because I'm no longer in that excruciating pain. And then I saw the OB enter the room and obviously I knew immediately that something wasn't right because I was always told that you won't see the OB unless there's a problem. And they, of course, you know, tried to keep me in a positive mindset by saying everything was fine. And yeah, she's just here to check the monitors. You've had the epidural, but I could see the way that she was looking at the monitors and I could just tell by her face that she was concerned 
So around this time, I can't remember exact timelines, but basically around this time, my fa- my whole family arrived. <laughs> my mom, my dad, my sister, my best friend, my mother-in-law, they all arrived. And obviously because I'd had the epidural, I was like, hey guys. And the energy was very high. It was very loving. And I was really happy to see them. And I thought, this is great. My whole family's here. Um, little did we know that it wouldn't be long after their arrival that things would go from zero, zero to a hundred and Bella would be born very quickly after that. So as you know, we're all chatting, I can sort of see in the corner of my eye that the OB keeps looking at my monitors really funny. And I, I knew something was up and then she came over at one point and basically cut a long story short. She said, um, everyone needs to move aside. I'm going to try to get this baby out because her heart rate is dropping um, really severely. So all of a sudden it went from happy families here, all chatting to you're about to birth your baby. So my family didn't even really get an opportunity to process what was happening either. They kind of all just went to the sides of the walls and stood in the background, which I was totally fine with. But you know, this is a full room of people. I've got OBs, I've got pediatrician, I've got two midwives at that point. Um, and the OB said to me, I'm going to give you an episiotomy and we're going to vacuum her out because we need to get her out. And I was like, no to the episiotomy, you can vacuum her out because I was obviously by this point, I was also really scared thinking, oh my gosh, she's going to die. And we began the vacuum delivery. I was pushing with all of my might. Bella was born very quickly. It all happened so fast. And she was basically out and on the lower part of my belly. She had a very short cord. And I was just like, what the hell just happened? And my mum said, she looked up at me. And all she saw was terror, terror on my face. But interestingly enough, I actually don't remember being terrified. I just remember feeling nothing because it was all just happening so quickly. And I was really shocked when my mum said that later on because I thought, really? Was I terrified? And she said, Sky, I looked at you and your face. You were looking straight at me because obviously she's my mama. I was looking at her for you know, some form of emotional support, but I was unaware of this. It was, it's a very strange thing to reflect on, but obviously I was in shock and she said it, you know, she just felt completely helpless. She was by my side at this point, holding my hand. My best friend was filming (laughs) above my head. Um, and she said, she's never felt so helpless because, you know, I'm her baby and she's trying, she doesn't know what to do, but she can see that I'm like, not okay. But again, I felt okay. (laughs) I think I was completely numb to it. So then Bella was put on my chest and I was just like, whoa, whoa, my baby's here. And it's really hard to remember actually, because I was so out of my body at that point. But I do remember they basically cut her cord straight away and she was taken away from me over to the pediatrician who um, I couldn't see what was going on. And I kept saying, is she okay? Is everything okay? Please tell me what's going on. Um, and the midwife and the OB were very nice and they kept um, reassuring me that she was okay. She just needs a little help with her breathing. 
And I was like, okay, well, what does that mean? Thinking in my head, I didn't say that out loud, but I was like, okay, that doesn't sound great to me. Um, but just the way that they were delivering it, I was like, okay, well, they seem, they seem okay with it. So I'm just going to trust that. Um, and then Dale came over, he was with Bella the whole time and my family, everyone was just like, you're amazing. Well done. It was very, the room was full of a lot of love and they kept bringing her over and putting her on my chest and I could tell that something wasn't quite right. And I kept saying over and over, is she all right? Is she okay? And again, everyone just kept reassuring me. Yeah, she's fine. She's fine. Enjoy your baby. But my gut, my instincts, my connection to her, whatever you want to call it, my, it was screaming at me that there's something wrong. And then, so that happened a couple of times. The pediatrician brought her over, then he'd take her back. Then he'd bring her over, then he'd take her back. Um, again, I didn't know what was going on over there because I couldn't see that far. And I was getting stitched up by the OB because I had a very small graze. Um, thank God I said no to the episiotomy. Wow. Um, and the final time he brought her over, he sort of looked at her and he went, mm, took her back over. And then that's when everything went to shit. So he could see that she was struggling to breathe. Um, and they couldn't figure out what it was. They had continued to give her the CPAP machine because when Bella came out, she didn't cry straight away and they put her on my chest. And I remember, I can remember it as clear as day when she, when I first saw her emerge, she flicked her little arms up like she was completely stunned. And of course she was stunned because she was only inside my belly a moment ago. You know, we were all stunned in the room at how fast she was born. So I know, I know if they had just left her on my chest for just a moment, just one moment, I know that she would have been fine. And this is why... I'm constantly trying to, you know, stress how important it is that you understand when you're entering the system, you're entering a business and this business has to protect itself. So when Bella came out and she didn't cry immediately, even though it was a super quick birth, they have to take that as something's wrong. So of course, to make sure that everything is okay, even if it means that, you know, they cause more damage, they cut her cord immediately, took her over to the pediatrician's table and they began to give her oxygen. And when they gave her oxygen through the CPAP machine, the force of that oxygen into her lungs to expel the fluid out of her lungs, which is something that naturally occurs during a physiological birth. So your baby has fluid in their lungs to help them develop within the womb. And then as you're going through, as they're going through the birthing canal and being squeezed by all those surges, that that helps expel a lot of it. You'll often see when babies have their heads out, um, they'll have that oozing of fluid coming out of their nose and mouth. This is all a part of nature's plan. Um, and usually their first cry helps to expel it as well. So Bella didn't get most of that. And the way that they try to get the fluid off their lungs is by using the CPAP machine. So that's one of their procedures that they have. But the force of it caused that fluid to puncture her lung, lung because it, it came out so quickly and it actually punctured both of her, her lungs and she had a pneumothorax. Um, and then because they didn't pick up on that straight away, 
oh, it just makes me cringe even talking about it. Um, they kept bringing her over to me and they would put her on my chest and I could see, I could feel, I could feel that something wasn't right. And I could see that she was trying to get a breath, but it was very shallow. She was breathing like this. And they kept taking her away, bringing her back, taking her away, bringing her back. And every time they took her away, back over to that table, they were giving her more oxygen. And of course, because her beautiful little lungs were already deflated, they were already punctured, that excessive air pushed more oxygen into her already deflated chest. So her lungs couldn't even expand. And um, it was the final time that the pediatrician brought her over that he realized that she wasn't recovering and he wanted to do an x-ray. So then my baby was taken away from me completely out of the room and when they when the pediatrician came back up he told me what had happened and I just completely lost it obviously because I just thought okay well I don't know what any of this means but is my baby gonna live and as long as she lived I didn't care and they they were adamant she would live but I also by that point didn't trust anything they said because they kept telling me she was fine and all this time they kept saying, everything's fine, everything's fine. And not everything wasn't fine. So I had lost faith in what they were telling me because I felt like I'd been lied to so many times already. But I had no other choice but to trust them because what the hell was I going to do? And that is the most intense feeling any mother can ever go through. Handing over your precious baby to uh, professionals that you no longer trust. And obviously also my mom's, you know, experience with Jasmine, all of that was compounding to the stress I was feeling because I thought this has happened to my mom and now I'm living this. I'm going to lose my baby. And thank God, I'm going to try to stop crying because I don't want this to be so emotional. Oh, I told you it wasn't positive. Sorry, guys. Um, but I was really lucky. I had a beautiful midwife who advocated for me. So they weren't going to let me see her, but my beautiful midwife said, you are going to see this baby. And she went and basically told them I'm bringing the mother down. So I finally got to see my baby after like four hours. She wheeled me down in a wheelchair and Bella was obviously in NICU by this point. And whoo. That was tough. That was one of the toughest moments of my life other than having her taken away from me. It was seeing her for the first time after giving birth because you couldn't even see her. She was so tiny and she was covered in machinery. She had a CPAP machine over her face, a you know strap on her head. She had a cord in her mouth and it was just, I could see her squirming and every single cell in my body was screaming at me to pick your baby up, grab her, take her. But obviously I could only really, you know, touch the skin on her that was exposed, which wasn't a lot. So I didn't even know what she looked like. Um, and that was pretty much us for four days. So what they did to get the air out of her lungs is they put a needle in her chest, which was another really fun thing to learn. And they tried to extract as much of it out as they could with the needle. 
And then when they got as much as they could, but there was still some left on one side, I think. And they were just waiting. They had a tube. She had a tube in her chest, which was horrific to see. And they were just basically waiting for all of the air to funnel out through that tube. So they actually taught me how to um, read the machine that shows how much air is in her in her lungs or show, that shows that there isn't any more air in her lungs. And oh my gosh, I watched that thing like a hawk. I had nightmares about that thing, actually. And I was basically down there every as much as I could possibly get down there. I only went back up to eat food and sleep and then I was straight back down there. And I'm really proud of myself because I did not stop expressing colostrum and eventually breast milk because I was adamant that if I couldn't control anything else, the one thing I could control is getting some milk to her so that they didn't have to give her formula. No offense to anyone that gives their baby formula, but that was the one thing I could control and I knew that that was going to be the best thing for her to heal so that was my mission and I was really lucky another silver lining I guess that we chose the hospital we did the Mana Mothers private here in Brisbane because they have a phenomenal menu so I was able to get beautiful steamed vegetables and just the quality of the food I was able to nourish my body every couple of hours and really make sure that I was eating properly I had no crap I had no caffeine. I was just so fixated on making sure my colostrum and my milk was the cleanest it could be. And I am really grateful that um, they had such an amazing menu because, look, I've seen hospital food and it is the furthest thing from healthy, which makes sense when you're feeding sick people. Um, but the Mata Mothers Private definitely have upped their game with their menu and I was able to really nourish myself, with, which also gave me this sense of control because I was doing everything within my power and I didn't have a lot of it to um, help her heal as much as possible. So I basically became one with the pumping machine and they ended up saying to me, girl, you need to slow down because we don't need that much. She will not eat all of this. Um, and I'm going to share this next part of my story because I think it's important too. Um, and it's more so focused on any midwives that are working in the system. Anyone that's working in the system in general can be applied to because I know that this is a place of work for everyone that's there. So there, obviously it, it makes sense that people become desensitized to what's going on around them. And when I was dealing with the staff in the NICU, who were all beautiful, this isn't a dig of any sort on them as people because everyone we came into contact with in that hospital was really quite beautiful to deal with. Um, but I think it's important, particularly with mothers that are dealing with babies in the NICU who are already most likely traumatized, that some information just does not need to be shared. And I will share that what I experienced because hopefully this can then um, bring awareness to the types of, also the types of language we choose and the if the information is not an absolute necessity and it will only upset the mother then it's there's no harm in keeping it to yourself so with Bella the first day that I went down there it was she was born on a Friday which was actually her due date 
and um, we had the weekend staff, which they were all really, really beautiful, friendly, loving. Um, and the two girls that I had that I dealt with with Bella were quite young, which there's again, there's no, I'm not saying that that was an issue at all. They were really lovely. Um, but it could be the fact that maybe because they didn't have any children, they didn't have that motherly uh, instinct. I don't know. I don't know. It could have just been, you know, we do this every day. This is so normal for them. But for me, the information they shared with me really impacted my mental health severely. So the first day I went down there, I was told that Bella just had a, yeah, she's doing really well. She just had a blood test. She absolutely hated that. She screamed the whole time. And I was just like, let's exactly what I want to hear on arrival. And then the next thing was, oh, and she hates that. She hates that tube in her mouth. She keeps trying to pull it out. We had to reinsert it. It's, you know, we had to tape her hands down. And I just thought, oh my God, like it was literally like, you may as well got to have got a sledgehammer to my stomach. That's how it felt. And it was just like trauma on trauma. <laughs> like how much more can I possibly take? And again, this isn't an attack on their personalities because they were all really beautiful women. I enjoyed their company and they were quite helpful in um, supporting me in other ways. But, you know, if I can at least bring awareness to that, to one person working with mothers in a similar situation to what I was in, then it's worth it. Um, and then the Monday staff. So Monday came around and they obviously, the shift changes and it was the Monday to Friday staff. And I walked in on the Monday morning and I met the new midwife that was taking care of Bella. And, oh, she was just an absolute angel. I just, after not even five minutes of talking to her, I just, it was like this huge sigh of relief. Um, because the first thing she said to me is, you know, introduced herself and then said, look, you know, um, Bella looked really uncomfortable. So I actually switched over her CPAP machine because she had this huge, big machine on her face that took up her whole face. We could only just make out her eyes. So she found a way of making that more comfortable for her. So she wasn't completely smothered in machinery. Um, and then she said, and you know, like I could see that she really doesn't like that mouth tube. So I removed that and they put it down her nose, which was 1 million times better. She didn't even notice it once it was down her nose. I'm sure it wasn't a nice process, but I just was so grateful because that was the first day I walked in and saw her calm. Whereas the other two days you could see that she just was not happy. And that was really, really hard as a mother to see because obviously all I wanted to do was pick her up and comfort her, but I couldn't. And it was just torture for me, absolute torture and Dale as well. Um, and I just gave her a big hug and cried. And I said, thank you so much. I don't think you realize how much this means to me that you took the initiative to make her more comfortable. You know, just that simple act. It meant so much to me. Um, and then the rest of our stay was really, you know, for something that was so traumatizing, I felt so much calmer within myself because I had this beautiful midwife there to support me. And she was so nurturing and really um, thought ahead, like thought of things that I would think of when it came to Bella. And, um, she was very conscious of the language she chose around me and how she spoke to me. 
she was amazing an absolute godsend for that period um and then on day four I walked down early hours of the morning like my normal routine I was dropping off more milk because my milk had come in at that point and I walked in and she said would you like to hold your baby (laughs) and oh my gosh wow I'm sure anyone listening can imagine the absolute exhilaration that went through my body hearing those words and I was just an absolute mess but also just so overwhelmed with happiness that I get got to hold my baby finally so they took off most of her machine she had little rashes on her face from all the little machines she'd had on and I got to hold my baby for the first time and then once she was in my arms she said would you like to breastfeed her (laughs) oh my gosh I'm crying that was just heaven to my ears because I I was engorged and I just in that period of time had just been pumping and my boobs were like are we feeding one baby or 20 we're unsure here so I wow they looked ridiculous my boobs were actually I'm gonna say at least twice the size of Bella's head and that could actually be an understatement they were huge so my whole body every cell in my body was like give me that baby And, you know, we definitely had troubles breastfeeding. Don't get me wrong. That was not an easy road, but I, I've never in my life just felt so at peace because I had my baby on my body and I was breastfeeding her and it hurt like hell, but I didn't give a shit because I was holding my baby and breastfeeding her. Um, and then we were pretty much out of there. I think we stayed for a couple of more days. They just, you know, tried to help me establish breastfeeding and then we got to go home and that was the end of that story. And I swept that bad boy under the rug as quickly as possible, I guess, because I'd gone from thinking we were going to lose her to now we were going home with her. I honestly just did not care. I did not care at that point what had happened I was so happy I was walking out of that hospital with my baby alive and somewhat healthy. So obviously that gratitude just overtook any other emotion. And here's the funny thing, right? I, you know, when I was retelling my birth, I looked at my actual birth as positive. This is how uninformed I was. I looked at the birth experience as a positive one because I thought that was the easiest thing I've ever done. Like, It was so quick. Yes, I had the epidural, but Bella was out within whatever it was. It wasn't very long after I had the epidural that she was on my chest. And I remember retelling the story and saying, you know, if if the thing that happened to her afterwards, her collapsed lungs, if that hadn't have happened, I, and I know this is actual fact, I would have, I would have looked back at that experience like that was amazing and probably become an advocate for an epidural because that's how disconnected I was to, um, how things unfolded and what it actually, what had actually happened. And it wasn't really until, you know, six months later, or I think it was, I always get this number wrong. I'm a little bit dyslexic. It was either six months or a year. I was within that first year, I was watching the Kardashians as one does when you are breastfeeding and wanting to watch a mind numbing show. And Khloe Kardashian had her baby. And in that footage, the baby was put on her chest and the baby stayed on her chest. 
And it was only in that moment that I erupted into these intense emotions, bawling my eyes out, out of the blue. And I was just sitting there thinking, what the hell is happening? Why am I bawling my eyes out? Why am I feeling like this? And it dawned on me, oh, maybe my birth wasn't positive because I'm crying because I've been triggered by Chloe's baby not being taken away from her. And only in that moment did I start actually questioning my actual birth experience. Because yes, I knew I was traumatized by what happened to Bella after my birth, but I didn't think I was traumatized by my actual birth. And it was only when that that memory was triggered was I able to actually sit in that emotion and realize, oh, okay, yep, I've got a little bit of unpacking to do. And it also makes sense as well because, you know, I was a first-time mum. I've just had this really traumatizing experience heading into motherhood, transitioning from maiden to mother, first time, don't know what I'm doing. For survival, the best thing for me to do is to just get on with it, you know. And because Bella was healthy, like, what am I complaining about? And I think it's really dangerous that we tell women that if you walk away with a healthy baby, then, you know, what are you complaining about? which was told to me multiple times. And I think that's just like a default comment that people make now because it's so common is at least your baby's alive, at least your baby's healthy. But actually, I don't believe that that should be the only standard we have is that you bet you, well, you're walking out alive. So what more can you want? Well, a lot because women shouldn't be traumatized when they're leaving their birth experience. And a lot of women don't process their birth trauma because they're too busy with a newborn. So, but that trauma never leaves. Your nervous system doesn't ever forget. And I think this is a big reason why so many women struggle in postpartum because they don't know that they're also harboring a lot of trauma. And because birth trauma is so normalized now, like my story is not unique at all. Um, because it's so normalized, it's just, a, it's just another story. You know, what you experience, what I experienced is no different to what that person and that person and that person experienced, you know? So I think, you know, when I talk about birth and about how powerful birth is and how transformative it can be, um, that transformation can be good and bad. And so I have stepped into this advocacy role where I am trying to show women that birth doesn't have to be traumatic. You actually have a choice. And, um, you know, when you don't have a traumatic birth, you have a better overall experience. I'm not saying you will not experience challenges in whatever motherhood you birth, but those challenges don't have to be completely detrimental to your mental health. I also want to touch on that with Bella, I never went through postpartum blues. I never, I mean, maybe I did on the third or fourth day, but who would know because I was crying anyway. But when we got home, I think people were concerned that I wasn't going to be okay. And I was the polar opposite. I was like flying high. I had a lot of troubles with breastfeeding for the first six weeks, which I'll jump into that next. But I really mentally considering what what had happened I was just happy I was so happy 
um, and loving life as a mum. And I really put that down to the amount of time, rest and skin to skin I had with Bella straight after that period. And I didn't realize this at the time because I didn't really know a lot of information about skin to skin. I knew it was important, but I didn't understand why. Um, and it wasn't until I'd had my interview with Dr. Sarah Buckley, which I will link that interview in the show notes, an absolute must listen. I send that episode out to anyone that says, which one should I listen to first? That's the first one to head out. Um, and she taught me about the hormonal flow of labor and how, um, when we have interventions, any interventions, you are interfering with that hormonal flow and then you are left with hormonal gaps and nature has thought of it all. Nature knows best. And we have all of these hormones because it helps us in a magnitude of ways. But one of those ways is to bond with our baby. And so often you'll hear stories of women that have these births where they've been induced or, you know, they've had vacuum delivery, whatever the situation is, there's been an intervention and it hasn't been a natural hormonal flow that's been completely uninterrupted. And the mother will speak how she didn't bond with her baby. I mean, I've heard that countless times. And I always ask, how was your birth? And without a doubt, Every time they will say that they've had some form of intervention. And that kind of goes hand in hand with what I was talking about earlier with syntocin and how women will blame themselves thinking it's their bodies that are broken. That's why they couldn't, you know, have the natural birth they desired. Um, it's the same when a mother comes out of her birth and doesn't feel love for her baby immediately. Of course, the mother is going to think that there's something wrong with her. And to a degree, there actually is because her hormonal flow has been interrupted, but it's not her fault. And it makes me so sad that I see so many women feel guilt and shame over, you know, not feeling love for their baby immediately when, you know, they have no knowledge of what's actually unfolded. And, you know, there is a reason why they feel this way. So obviously Dr. Sarah Buckley goes into this a lot deeper in our episode. Um, but please not only give that episode a listen, but get your hands on her book, Gentle Birth, Gentle Mothering. I will link that in the show notes as well. Another profound read. Um, but basically, you know, a very quick explanation of what we spoke about. Um, everyone experiences a biological hormonal flow during labor. Um, and nature has truly thought of it all. We, there are reasons why we go through this hormonal flow and, you know, just some of those reasons other than, you know, building those beautiful surges that help us birth our baby, but also to bond with our baby and breastfeeding, you know, there is a purpose for it all. So when we have any form of intervention, such as syntocin, epidural, whatever it is, we are interrupting that natural hormonal flow. And of course, you, you know, there's consequences for that. So you are left with what Sarah describes as hormonal gaps. And these hormonal gaps can affect the way mother bonds with her baby, can affect her breastfeeding journey, and the list goes on. Um, but in the episode, we touch on how you can repair these hormonal gaps through the act of skin to skin, which is something all of us can do, um, and also breastfeeding. 
because your body is getting that flood of oxytocin that helps you to bond with your baby. So when I heard Dr. Sarah Buckley saying all of this, it immediately dawned on me, oh my gosh, I would have had definitely hormonal gaps left behind from my birth. But because I did these practices, which I didn't even know had that amount of profound benefits, I never had any issues bonding with her. I was completely obsessed with her from the moment I saw her. Um, And considering everything we went through for that first four days, I mean, I was crying anyway, so I don't know if I did get the baby blues or not because I couldn't tell the difference, what was what. Um, But, you know, all things considered, I was pretty much on a high once I got to take her home. So I have to put that down to the fact that we prioritized rest and we set up we set up camp in our media room where we had um like beautiful media couches that are really soft and cozy and they you know you flick them out and they go full recliner mode and Bella was on my chest most of the day having naked skin to skin or she was on Dale's chest always with nappy because nobody's got time for a newborn poo explosion if you know you know Um, and I just watched so much Netflix and I loved it so much because it was the, you know, I'm one of those people where I can't sit down for too long because I don't know if it's just ADHD or (laughs) I feel guilty for just sitting down and doing nothing. I struggle to do nothing, but I loved that period because I had gave myself full permission to just chill, do nothing and watch bulk amount of Netflix And then breastfeeding her, I mean, don't get me wrong, I had a really tough time breastfeeding. It was not easy by any means, Um, but I definitely did feel the oxytocin release when I would feed her. I just had to first get over the trauma of her latching, (laughs) which I'm sure some women can relate to. Um, But my point is, I'm a testament to how these things helped repair the hormonal gaps that were left behind from my birth experience. And I mean, my daughter was taken off me for the first four days of her life and I wasn't able to hold her that entire time. So I was very much set up to be dealing with all of these issues. Um, And I can only put it down to that, you know, simple act of having my baby on me at all times and breastfeeding. On the topic of breastfeeding, I will share my story on this one just because it could genuinely help someone on their journey. Um, So I had six weeks of absolute torture with breastfeeding. I had no issues with my supply. Uh, I was producing enough milk. It was purely just my nipples were shredded, like completely shredded. Um, And I remember reaching out to another mum and saying, hey, did you ever experience any of this? And immediately she was like, yes, I did. I didn't want to message you because I thought you were doing well and I didn't want to, you know, put anything in your head, which I get. Um, But I think it's really important that we talk about these issues amongst ourselves. There's, There's definitely this weird shame around struggling with breastfeeding when most of us do and it's important to realize that breastfeeding is a skill that is learnt you know and and in my case I was really struggling with breastfeeding but I was adamant that I was breastfeeding my baby that was really really important to me 
And I got to like week three and I thought, I don't know if this is sustainable because I'm in a lot of pain. I was not expecting it to be that painful. And I had seen all the lactation consultants and they all said her latch was perfect. No one said she had a tongue tie. It was purely just, they couldn't figure it out really. Um, And I would do all the things. So here's a hot tip for anyone experiencing sore nipples while breastfeeding. If you get a little bit of breast milk and put it on your nipple and then sit out in the sun for a little bit, that is really amazing for helping them to heal. I was absolutely astounded at how quickly one side would heal to the, it would, it wouldn't heal completely, but it would heal enough that when Bella, it was time for Bella to latch on that side again, I was able to do it basically. Um, so I eventually, it got to the six, six week mark and I had my midwife come and visit and I said to her, I am really struggling. I don't know, like things aren't getting better. It actually feels like it's getting worse. I'm doing everything that people are telling me to do. I've heard a million different ways of breastfeeding. I'm doing all of it. Nothing's working. And um, I had in the meantime been obviously Googling all of my symptoms and sending them to my midwives and they kept dismissing anything that I said. So I thought I had thrush of the nipple because I fit those symptoms, but they kept saying, no, if you had thrush, Bella would be covered in it. Because if you didn't know this, when your baby is in hospital and anything happens to them outside of the norm, I say that loosely, (laughs) if they are taken away from you for whatever reason and they have to go into NICU, for example, they will be administered antibiotics. That's just another part of the hospital's protocol. And usually they do it without even asking for consent. They just tell you they've done it. Um, So obviously antibiotics cause thrush and they can cause thrush in baby's mouths. So obviously they were like, look, Bella's mouth is completely clear of thrush. They can't be that. It's got to be something else. So um, on week six, I had my midwife come and visit. It was the last visit of my service. And um, she kind of under the table said to me, look, because they're all trained as lactation consultants. And she said, look, you need to go and see this guru lactation consultant. Her name is Bridget Ingle. Write that down. Very important for anyone in Brisbane. Actually, anywhere, because you can do it. You can see her via Zoom now. I'll link her details in the show notes, of course. Um, Go and see her. She is known as the absolute guru in this field. So I was like, done. I don't care how much it is. You know, it wasn't cheap, but I didn't care. I was like, I need this to save my breastfeeding journey or this is it for us. I can't keep going on like this. So this was my last chance at um, resolving whatever issue I was having. And I went and saw Bridget and after a quick assessment where she didn't really say much, she checked Bella's mouth for tongue ties. She looked at my breasts and my nipples. And first thing she said to me is, did Bella have antibiotics at birth? And I said, yes, she did. She said, well, I think you've got thrush. 
And I said, I knew it, <laughs> which is not something you want to be right about. But I just felt validated in that moment because I just, I just knew that I'd had that, but I couldn't explain why Bella didn't have it. And I said that to her, why does, why are we not finding it in Bella's mouth? Because everyone that dismissed me said, no, 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 no. We'd see it in Bella's mouth. And she said, well, that's the power of your milk. My milk was curing it in her mouth so it was that you weren't able to see it in her my milk was protecting her from it and she would have had it and passed it on to me originally and then my milk has cured it in her mouth so that's why they weren't picking it up but I definitely had it so she said that she could see tiny little lacerations all around the tip of my nipple which explains the excruciating pain um and that the way you treat it is one of two ways you can either go the holistic way which will take longer or she was offering to write a script for a very heavy duty medicalized ointment by that point i was like girl give me that ointment i need to be able to breastfeed without you know completely curling up into a ball of pain um, so I had to be very careful with my application and making sure that I really cleansed the area before she latched because you weren't, it was very strong and it wasn't really allowed to go in baby's mouth. So that get, brought me a little bit of anxiety because I'd already, you know, been feeling anxious about all the drugs that were pumped into Bella's body. But I'd been doing all of the things, you know, I was breastfeeding, I had seen a homeopath, I'd seen a naturopath, we had, you know, a full protocol in place for helping her detoxify. Um, so I felt a little bit of guilt around that, but also it was like, we either do this and breastfeed or we don't do this and stop breastfeeding. So obviously I chose to continue to breastfeed her because that was in her best interest, but I had to be very, very mindful and diligent about how I, um, applied and cleansed myself afterwards. So it was a full thing, but Hey, Three days later, she latched and it was the first time in nearly seven weeks by that point. And I felt no pain and I just took the biggest sigh of relief like, oh, this is what it's meant to feel like. And then because of that, that rolled on into our nighttime feed. So I co-slept, I co-sleep, sorry, I still co-sleep with all of my children and um, including my twins. I've co-slept with all of my babies since birth. I think it's the most natural thing a mother can do and I hate so much that the Western world has demonized it. Um, but that first night of breastfeeding with no pain, I actually got decent sleep and Bella slept better and Dale slept better and it just improved our lives exponentially because, you know, I no longer had to sit up when I was feeding her at night. I could, we had a very safe system in place, so there was no risk of anyone ever rolling on her. Um, but the way that I was set up, it's basically, I could just, you know, if she was hungry, I would just release my bra and she would feed. And that was that. So then I went on to breastfeed her for two years until the twins arrived. And then I breastfed all three of them for the first month of the twins life. Um, and then I was able to wean Bella and I tandem fed the twins for the next three and a half years. So I will be forever grateful to Bridget Ingle and the um, fact that she really saved my breastfeeding journey. So to wrap up today's episode, I will be finishing it with my key pieces of advice. 
Um, and specifically for from this birth experience, the key pieces of advice that I could give to any expectant mothers out there is to get educated about physiological birth. Don't just walk into your birth thinking that if you trust your body, it's going to be enough. Of course, that absolutely does happen for some women, but you need to understand what is actually unfolding within your body to trust it. And if you don't understand what the variations of physiological birth can look like, then when things don't look a certain way, that's when doubt and worry can creep in. And those are the opposite emotions you want to be feeling when entering the birth realm. We are so lucky that we live in an age where we have access to some incredible resources. My top three books that I can recommend to any mother that is just starting this journey and has no idea where to begin. Um, I would be getting my hands on a copy of Reclaiming Childbirth as a Rite of Passage by Dr. Rachel Reed, Gentle Birth, Gentle Mothering by Dr. Sarah Buckley, or Birth with Confidence by Rhea Dempsey. I also really love, for any pregnant mamas that are listening, um, Jane Hardwick Collings has a really profound book called Ten Moons, which I highly recommend as well. My other piece of advice is to be mindful of what you absorb. Um, so obviously we live in a day and age now where we have access to profound amount of information and you know that comes with positives and negatives. I like to see it as a positive you know you have the choice to choose the information that you absorb and you know there are algorithms so work with your algorithm if you're finding yourself mindlessly scrolling on Instagram then fill your Instagram feed with positive birth stories and you know informative educational posts on physiological birth. Finally, my last piece of advice would be working on your mindset. So our mindsets really are so incredibly powerful. If you are finding yourself agitated, feeling stressed or anxious, whatever the emotion is, implementing a daily practice, whatever that looks like for you can have a profound impact on not only your mental health, but your overall experience as well. So Obviously, I have my Trusting the Journey ebook coming out next month, which will be focused specifically on the end of pregnancy and really leaning into trusting your body and trusting the journey through implementing a daily practice that includes meditation, visualization, breath work, um, gratitude, journaling, all of these potent, powerful tools that can have such a tremendous impact on your well-being and also your babies as well. You know, you guys share a nervous system for your entire pregnancy and for such a long period after you give birth as well. So it really has that role on effect. And um, these are practices that you can take into your everyday life. It doesn't have to stop after pregnancy and birth. And I know in this fast paced world, it can be really, really difficult to sit still for longer than a minute or two, especially when you're pregnant. I understand that completely. Um, that's why I've made sure that this practice is completely achievable and also affordable. That was really important to me when creating it that I, you know, wanted it to be accessible to everyone. On that note, I am going to wrap up today's episode. Thank you so much for coming on this journey with me back in time to Bella's birth experience. Wow, what a journey that was. 
Um, it really actually feels quite therapeutic to go back there and talk about it. And it feels like I've given her birth experience some sort of purpose by being able to pass on the wisdom that I gained throughout that journey. I hope you all enjoyed today's episode. As always, please let me know any thoughts, questions, or opinions that you had about today's episode over on the PBA Instagram. I will be sharing part two of this series next Tuesday, so stay tuned for that. We will be diving deep into my experience with the twins' birth and everything that unfolded, all the lessons that I learned. It's another turbulent story, so buckle up. Thank you so much for listening. I will see you all next week for another episode of Positive Birth Australia. Bye.